there are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi. It's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. Do you want to set your child up for success? Is tutoring out of your budget or perhaps you're someone like me who just wants to save money on private tutoring? Is this a big school year for your child? You know, maybe they're starting kindergarten or middle school. Maybe there's another milestone coming up. Or maybe your family moved. Oh my gosh, I moved so much when I was growing up. And the kids are starting a new school. Or maybe your child is ahead and just not getting challenged enough in class. Well, IXL Learning is here to help. IXL Learning is a fun online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. That's right. It is school approved. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And how to be fine listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at ixl.com/fine. Visit ixl.com/fine to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Again, that's ixl.com/fine. The following podcast contains barnyard language and some adult content. So, Maybe listen on headphones if you're at work or around small children. Now, here's the show. Hey, Jolenta. Hey, Kristen. It has been one week since we lived by on being a real person. And you know what that means. It's time to be fake people, finally. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, it's time for another Buy the Book mini episode. Your life is going down the drain. You're in so much pain. You need some help. Ooh, self-help. That's right. It's time for another Buy the Book epilogue. And this week, we're hearing from all of you out there about our most recent book on being a real person by Harry Emerson Fosdick. But before we get to this week's responses, we're once again putting the book into historical context with the help of historian Trish Travis. And reminder, Professor Travis is a 20th century U.S. cultural and literary historian with a focus on gender and popular culture. Her subspecialties are history of medicine with a focus on therapy, addiction and recovery, and self-help. So she is our gem. Welcome, Professor Travis. Welcome back to the show. We are so excited to talk to you. Uh, well, I hope that it can stand up to the pressure here. Oh, it will. It will. We expect you to just blow our minds again. So, you know, that's an easy thing to live up to. Just blow our minds every week forever. That's all we need. I mean, I think it'll be easy. Um, <laughs> so, Professor Travis, first and foremost... We have to confess that we had kind of a hard time finding a best-selling self-help book for the 1940s. Most of the books seem to be either overly practical, like How to Grow a Victory Garden, or straight-up philosophy, like being and nothingness. Um, 
Why do you think this is? I think it's because the national attention was elsewhere. Mm -hmm. In a way, thinking about how to be a better person is a luxury. That's why you don't see a lot of self-help books written in the 17th century. When people are really busy trying to put food on the table, trying to just keep their shit together on a day-to-day basis, they often don't have time or leisure to think about personal growth. The 1940s was a decade like that. Because of the exigencies of the war, men were gone from the home. More women than ever before were working outside the home. Families were restructured in radical ways that we don't really think about because they're not so radical today. But in that context, there was not necessarily a whole lot of time for national soul searching uh, mm-hmm. or for individual soul searching, sorry. Um, Fosdick's radio broadcast, The National Vespers, were sort of moments in which people could do that kind of thinking about themselves and their purpose while listening to the radio and doing other things. And I think that's one of the reasons this book was so popular was because they knew him as a radio personality. Ah. But you're right. This is a thin decade for self-help because people were busy thinking about other stuff and trying to move the nation forward. Ooh, fascinating. So it wasn't just that we are bad at finding books. Thank goodness. (laughs) Okay, and you've sort of already started to answer the question we're about to ask, but I got to ask it anyway. Can you set the stage for what was happening in America when On Being a Real Person came out? So the 1940s are a funny decade to talk about because they're dominated, unsurprisingly, by America's role in the Second World War. Right. At the very beginning of the decade, everybody's worried, are we going to get into it or not? Then we get into it. And then at the end of the decade, everybody's wondering, what the hell just happened? And how are we going to move on from here? So it's funny because on being a real person, it does not really seem to touch on the war at all. Mm. You would expect to find a best-selling book that was about how to grow your victory garden or <laughs> like how to save money while your husband is away at the war. And there were plenty of books like that written. But it's an interesting book because it deals with the war in a sort of roundabout way. I want to use two words again to sort yes. of think about what's going on in this book. And the first one is maturity. It was a somber uh, nation at the time. And in a way that I don't think we really can relate to today, there was a real sense among Americans of trying to make sense of the presence of evil in the world. There Mm. was a sense that the Nazis and their allies were evil people and that it was important to understand where that evil came from. Mm. So there is an attempt going on in the United States to sort of reckon with a very serious moment in which grave things of great human consequence are taking place. Not just because people stood to lose their own loved ones in combat, but because there was something serious and catastrophic going on in the world around us. So there's a sort of call to all Americans to sort of put on their big kid panties and get mature about where we are in the world today. In addition to this sense of like a national need for maturity and an intense moment, my other word is psychology. It's easy to forget that psychology is really a pretty recent invention. It had been brewing as a professional science or 
pseudoscience, depending on your <laughs> take on things, in the United States for 50 or 60 years in the 1940s, the mental hygiene movement, which is sort of the first public psychology or social work um, organization, began in the 1880s. Freud came and gave his famous lectures at Clark University in 1909, and the professional practice of psychology really got going in the 19-teens and 20s. Last show, I talked about the importance of paperback books. Here, I'll just give a little shout-out to popular magazines that mm. grew up in the 1920s to serve the growing uh, urban, educated middle classes. These magazines carried thousands of stories popularizing the idea of psychology, including versions of Freudian psychology, during the teens and 20s until by the 1930s, psychology had become a thing that everybody knew about with the idea that we all have repressed desires and we have instincts and we have violent thoughts and that this was just a sort of part of understanding how humans are. It's a huge shift from a late 19th century way of understanding the self as sort of crafted by God and endowed with moral capacity and all of those things that might be bad are immoral and should be cast out of the self, psychology invited people to understand these things as not different from them or evil that had invested them, but part and parcel of what the self is. And the question mm. became, how do we control those things? So psychology gives a scientific understanding to a complex, diverse, and sometimes internally contradictory self that needs to be managed in order to maximize productivity and happiness. That's one of the things that Fosdick is talking about in How to Be a Real Person, the need to acknowledge that there are these parts of yourself mm -hmm. and then to make sure that you deal with them in a productive way so that they don't tear you up and turn you into a real asshole. <laughs> well, Professor Travis, this has all been so fascinating. And so much of this book makes more sense now that you've put yeah. it into this context yeah, for yeah. us. So thank you so much. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break, but stay with us, because when we come back, we'll be hearing from all of you out there who wrote in this week. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. We're back with listener responses to On Being a Real Person. 
And quite a few of you wrote in with some very interesting thoughts about accepting yourselves and your circumstances, which uh, is step one in the book. Yes. Emma said, After depleting most of our life savings to pay for multiple failed attempts at IVF, my husband and I were devastated. But now, three years later, we're finally starting to accept and even embrace a child-free life. But it wasn't fast or easy for us, and there's no way we could have reached this place of acceptance in only two weeks. Sometimes acceptance takes years or even decades, but it's so necessary to feel like a real person. Ugh. I love that. Yeah. It Ugh. doesn't have to be easy or like a snap of the fingers. Like, why can't you just accept your circumstances? No, like, who can do that? ASAP. And it's like, I need to process this and like maybe process a loss or something. And, yeah. You know. I know lots of stuff in my life's taken decades to process. Yes. You know this about me, Jolanta. Yeah. Oh, I guess the listeners do who've heard all the prior episodes of the show. But yeah, yeah it's not just snapping the fingers. And you're not, not like a failure if you're not like, oh, whoops, there's my circumstances. Like, gonna fully embrace them in one second. Yeah. And actually, I have to say for Emma, it's like the fact that you have reached this point within three years. I'm impressed. I'm impressed because some people really do take quite a bit longer to process that sort of loss. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So congratulations to you on the new phase of your life and And, all the great things ahead for you and your husband. You're going to have a great life and so many adventures. And you're so real. Yes. You are a totally (laughs) real person. We also love this letter we got from Chrissy, which is about ego. Chrissy says, I kept rewinding step two about overcoming egocentricity. The step said self-centeredness inevitably becomes self-consciousness and self-pity. I hate to say it, but this is very true of me. Sometimes I get so in my own head. What do people think of me? How do I look? Do I sound smart? And yeah, all this focusing on me most definitely leads to me just becoming more self-conscious and self-pitying. Jalenta, thank you for acknowledging that you also sometimes have this tendency. I think like you, I need to make a conscious effort to focus more on what I believe in and what's around me and less on myself. Uh, Yay, Chrissy! And reminder, in the episode, what you were doing, Jolenta, is you thought of all the things you would die for. So um, many! The things you believe so much in and you started focusing on those things around you. Yeah, I think it does help and I'm not saying I'm I'm great at it, but when I feel myself starting to sort of have a self-pity, self-doubt, self-picking apart spiral... If I can catch it early enough, I'll be like, think of something positive that, like, someone else did today. I'm like, send them a quick text to say thanks for that. Like, get out of your own head and focus on something other than your insecurities because then you turn into a sort of, like, weepy narcissist. <laughs> can I give you an example of one way I do that sometimes? Yes, please. So whenever you and I put on a live show, Jolenta, or mm-hmm. I'm, like, doing a public speaking engagement or mm-hmm. whatever, what I try to do is rather than focusing on my nervousness, mm-hmm. compliment everybody around me. Mm, you do a good job of that. And I'm oh. like, shut up. I'm busy worrying. <laughs> Don't talk to me. I just want to tell the light crew how much I appreciate their effort they're putting in. Let me take a picture of the producers and post it on Instagram so that the world can applaud them because they're so no, good. Let me sit in a dark <laughs> corner and fret about my makeup. Oh no, wait. What you're doing is probably more positive and less destructively self-centered. I mean, huh. I guess it depends on who you're asking. Maybe you're more <laughs> acknowledging your feelings more than I am. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. But Chrissy, we all relate to you. Giving us a lot to think about, Chrissy. <laughs> Still. <laughs> all right. Amber wrote in to say that she enjoyed how we lived step five mm. about faith in the book. She says, I loved how you both dealt with the faith aspect of this book, and I think that similar introspection would be wonderful for everyone, even, or maybe especially, those who do ascribe to a traditional faith, as it really makes you delve deeper to distill those beliefs. So Mm. in addition to you, Jolenta, 
yeah. um, thinking about what Being you would like, die for. What do I believe in? Period. I don't know. Yeah. And you believe in nature also. Mm-hmm. And you believed in... The universe and creativity. Yes. All and those things. And possibly ancient aliens. Who knows? Yeah. And I kind of did what I considered a couple. But you and Dean didn't think it was. Which, I don't think it is. Yeah. I think you've already, like, uh, thought about this. Yeah. That I just want to continue my Nana's legacy yeah. and make sure anything I do would be living up to her values and make her proud. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I love that. But I'm glad you approved Amber because I was a little bit afraid in my case, at least. I'm like, oh, people are just going to think I repeated what I did before. No. I think you're just sort of refining and revisiting, like, what you've established as a belief system. Hmm. And also, I like what Amber says about, you know, people who already are like, I got my faith all lined up. Like, it doesn't hurt to revisit it and investigate, like, your individual feelings and drives and, like, what you consider faith within your sort of prescribed religion. Yeah. What is your relationship with your faith? Mm -hmm. How do you interpret it in your own life every day? Yeah. Like, my mom is both considers herself a Catholic and a, like, tarot card reading witch. And somehow she has made those two, like, really vibe and jive together. And that's her faith because she's given it so much thought that I may not understand but really enjoy looking at. (laughs) Oh, I also want to get to this. A number of you wrote and called in to share stories about losing jobs and starting freelance life, just like Kristen had to do. And I love this voicemail we got. Hi, this is Sarah. I am calling from Richmond, Virginia. Um, And I am mid-listen to Are You a Real Person? Um, And I was thinking about it and talking about this freelancing. In the last couple of years, I founded a nonprofit doing equine-assisted psychotherapy, which in itself is an amazing thing that I could talk about for hours. But I also lost a job that was my part-time job that helped support our family, my husband and my child and myself, um, which was really scary and really terrible. So my husband and I made the decision to kind of let me try to play out the nonprofit side of things. Um, when you have a nonprofit, the saying goes that if you're a business, if you're not making money, then it's just a hobby and believing truly in the mission of my nonprofit, which is really hard to do when you feel like you're not a real person doing real work. And so I'm just trying to do that. And I think hearing you guys talk about that is really helpful just in this moment of listening. Uh, Sarah, I'm so glad my suffering has been helpful to you. Yay! <laughs> No, but seriously, congratulations. Your freelance nonprofit sounds amazing, by the way. Equine mm-hmm. therapy? Holy crap. I want to go take a ride and get therapied. <laughs> but I think it's good to hear from other people who struggle with the freelance life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of the narrative we hear nowadays is, oh, I love the hustle. And, you know, everyone's got a startup and everyone's so entrepreneurial and people love it. But a lot of us, it can be scary. A lot of it's a struggle as far as balancing our time and to get enough rest and how much should we work or not work. And, you know, do I have health insurance this month? And I think that a lot of our culture loves to glamorize, like, I'm my own boss, but sometimes it's hard to be our own boss. Yes, it's very hard. And I I mean, you're great at it, Joel. I feel like, but I feel like I'm sort of the false advertisement. You know, like, I chose this lifestyle after I got married and, like, could for a hot second. For the first time in my life, I was like, great, I'm not paying an arm and a leg for catastrophic health insurance. Like, I want to see what I can do for a hot second. But that's because I had a, like, built-in husband-shaped safety net. (laughs) But I feel like a lot of people out there on social media and stuff are like, living that freelance life, like, love that hustle. And it's like, I like it because I'm a, like, probably not very good functioning 
weirdo who's, like, working on herself in a hidey hole. But, like, I don't think it's a natural state for people to work in. We're pack animals, right? Like, like I think we need more representation of people being, like, because of downsizing and, like, our very strange economy and, like, boomers not retiring and millennials flooding the workforce I get downsized and forced into freelance life, like Kristen. Like, mm, yeah. Anywho, we really appreciate your calling in, Sarah. It is always great to hear from other people who have all the mixed feelings I do about this freelance life. Yes. All right. We also heard from people, Jolenta, who could relate to your story. You know, dysfunctional parents yeah, yeah, and yep. keeping distance from their fathers yes. and dealing with, you know, the fear of people questioning you. For example, Daisy wrote in to say, I don't have, nor do I want, a relationship with my biological father. He gaslights, sweeps things under the rug, and manipulates everything and everyone around him, and I never wanted any part of it. I have met some resistance about it, but only ever from people who don't know even half the story, who are out of a perfect family, would never turn their back on their parents, or have successfully been subjected to this manipulation. Everyone else gets it. Yay, everyone Yay, gets it. Yeah, only yeah. the people who matter will get it. That's, yeah, I am learning that. And, like, as, as time goes on and I'm able to be more vulnerable and less just, like, full of shame, um, I'm learning. Yeah, the more I open up, the more people are like, boof, that's awful. Not like, <laughs> you're an insane bitch. No, a lot, like, of people, no. a lot of people for emotional and psychological health reasons keep distance from their right. parents. You're not alone in this. No. I, I do think Many that— Many people do. I'm learning a lot of people do and just don't talk about it yes. as much as I do. Yes, that's what I was going to say. I do think that some people just don't want to talk about it or they're afraid of judgment, so choose yeah. not to talk about no, it's, it. No, it's hard. Like, I was uh, I was recently over the holidays um, with my in-laws, and I was talking to my aunt-in-law, I guess, and she has a similar relationship with her father— and she was saying, like, it's really hard. Like, this family, my husband's family, Brad's family, like, they're very close. And, like, they'll never understand what you're going through. They're a total all-American like, situation comedy family. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> like, they're loving. They're amazing to be a part of. But, like, no, your husband will never have to evaluate who he is minus his foundation. Like, mm. and even just hearing that helped, too, where it's, like, it helps sort of release some of the, like, resentment I have towards him. Where I'm like, it's not fair. You're never going to have to unpack shit like this, you know? But yeah. just hearing from someone else, like, I know it's unfair. And, like, it happens to a lot of us. And, like, even though a lot of us don't talk about it, it's happening. And, like, you have every right to to extricate yourself from shitty relationships. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to hear from some people out there who don't feel so great about Harry Emerson Fosdick on being a real person on anything we covered. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and also, we'll announce next week's book. Yes! So stay tuned! There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mère and mère somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. 
find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. We're back, and let's hear from some people who aren't really feeling the Harry Emerson Fosdick lerve. Yes. This letter we got from Tamara, who says, when Jolenta couldn't figure out how to operationalize step one about acceptance, besides repeating his affirmation, it reminded me that our information today on being the best you is so much better and more accurate than it was even 20 years ago. Um, I don't know if it's specifically the age this book was written in, or if maybe Harry Emerson Fosdick is just not a good writer. I don't know. (laughs) It was the most, like, convoluted affirmation we've ever had to repeat, I think, on buying the book. And uh, it was kind of fun. I mean, to me, sometimes affirmations all feel like gibberish gobbledygook. Mm -hmm. So, like, it kind of wasn't much different. But I do have to say, our first book of the season, as you know, I loved uh, How to Win Friends Friends. Influence People. It was so much more well written than That's this true. one. Yeah. So and and there were actual functional operational steps to take in that book. So you think it's a lot about the writing and the author? Yeah, I mean he was a preacher and he kind of loved to just preach and I not mean, give a lot of specific. I steps. do think a lot of this book might have been recycled sermons. Sermons. Yeah, <laughs> that makes so they much sense. They read a lot like a grandiose speech sometimes. Yeah, not a lot of steps, but a lot of proselytizing yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, a lot of like stories with a moral. Yes. Yes. A lot of that. All right. Ellie wrote in to say, Kristen, I was surprised you were so upset with the author's stance on homosexuality. This guy was born in the 1800s. What do you expect? I'm not saying homophobia is acceptable based on today's standards, and I'm not saying you shouldn't call it out, but come on. Weren't all straight men back then closed-minded idiots? (laughs) Back then? (laughs) I'm going to stop making man jokes because I'm sick of getting emails about how saying I hate all men is not productive. (laughs) But still, I had to. You know, I'm going to call it out over and over again. No, I think we just have to. Yeah, and so if you don't want to hear it, just press the skip 15 seconds ahead or whatever. Yeah, it's going to happen probably more than once this we gotta season. we got to address it. Yeah. Also, yeah. for me at least, I know she asked, uh, what did you expect? But I will say I kind of expected no mention of homosexuality, yes. especially back in like the 40s. I thought they just like pretended it didn't exist, which is not good either. But I didn't expect it to be brought up and like condemned and also like given as an example for like 
emotional problems. Yeah, especially because the high horse that Harry Emerson Fosdick got on the most, according to, you know, his bio, was peace in the Middle East mm-hmm. and yeah, just, anti-racism. Just almost and, humanism in a sense, yeah. but not for gays, which yeah. kind of stood out in the book. Where yeah. it's like, why are you bringing them up and why are you so accepting except here? Yeah, so weird. So weird. But yeah, I'm going to keep calling it we out. We gotta. It's also just interesting. <laughs> it's like we gotta acknowledge the the societal context and how, how it shakes us or doesn't as modern-day readers. Yeah, and our books that we are reading today, we may very well look back at 40 years from now and say the same thing. Like, I cannot believe we thought that way back then. Yeah, if someday we'll look at Girl, Wash Your Face and be like, oh my gosh, she didn't acknowledge, like... Oh, that already happened with us. This thing. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, no, wait. Bad example. You know what I mean. Yeah. Okay, so we do have to do one last question that I thought pretty urgently needed to be addressed. And this came from Jennifer on Facebook, and she says, No one is talking about the really important issue. How did you avoid making a Fosdick joke? Well, Jennifer, the answer is we, we didn't. didn't. We made many, many I mean, Fosdick also, jokes we during didn't the taping. even make a joke. Like, the first time we were recording this episode and just said Fosdick, we all had to stop and laugh for a while and then realize, like, oh, no, we can't even make a Fosdick joke because we can't even handle saying Fosdick. No, we did make a Fosdick joke just by saying Fosdick over and over yeah, again. I, mean, I thought just, that was kind of yeah. joking. And and we had to, we were like, if we make actual dick jokes, like, we'll never get through this episode. Because we cannot say the name. (laughs) So we just couldn't open, we couldn't open the Foz Dick Pandora's box, if you will. We had to stay a dick's length away from that box. Foz Dick. Foz Dick. Foz Dick. Don't worry, we laughed and laughed. Huge thanks to everyone who wrote in this week. Reminder, you can always join the Facebook community by logging on to facebook.com slash groups slash btbpod, or just use the link in our episode description. And now, Kristen, it is time. Yes. It is the time in the mini episode when we announce next week's book. Our next book is... The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. Was Kristen secretly the ghostwriter for this book? Sounds like it. Do you think I'm powerful enough to time travel back to the 1950s and co-write it? We are going to find out next week. And that's it for this mini-episode of By the Book. Huge thanks to our fabulous production team at Stitcher, our producer Nora Ritchie, our engineer Andy Christens, and special thanks to Luce Fleming. Thanks also to Nate Whita, who composed our theme song, Jared Arnold, who produced this season's new version of the theme song, and our very own producer Nora Ritchie for singing. Chris Bannon is our chief content officer, and Daisy Rosario is our executive producer. Reminder, y'all, we have another show. It's like a makeover show for your heart. It's called We Love You and So Can You. There's advice, there's love, there's pep talks, there's definitely some crying, there are probably some dick jokes. And vision boards. Oh, so many vision boards. Please stay in touch. Let us know if you've lived by on being a real person and send us any questions or suggestions for future books for us to live by. Our email address is kristenangelenta at gmail.com. And don't forget, you can also tweet at us at ByTheBookPod, at Kristen Meinzer, or at Jalenta G. And you can hit us up on Instagram, slide into our DMs at ByTheBookPod. Oh, and if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can do that at 302-49-BOOKS. That's 302-492-6657. 
And as always, please rate us and review us in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It helps other people to find the show. But only rate us if you're a real person. Don't no, rate if us you in- are a fake person or a ghost, I don't know if those yeah. count. Yeah, no ghosts. And I mean... Pets can also read us, but most of them don't have opposable thumbs, so it's mm-hmm. kind of hard for dogs to type. But I know cats play with iPads, so, like, let them try. Yeah, and some of them have those cute thumbs. Oh, my gosh, cat thumbs. <laughs> if you have a cat with thumbs, put a picture on our Facebook group. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jalenta Greenberg. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Oh, but I was making a lot of bad puns. Rad was like, you are spending too much time with Kristen. Like, this <laughs> isn't even funny it. anymore. He he's like over it. He's over it. He um, loves it. Or is he a Fosdick? He's a Fosdick in the mud. Stitcher. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 